With us today is Steve Tates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. And every Sunday morning, he makes us, our mind expand a little, and we look up in the skies and say, what the heck is up there? Well, Steve Tates, it's Sunday morning again. What is going on? Give us something exciting that, uh, uh, that's maybe good news versus all the other bad news we hear. Well, John, good to be with you and the listeners as we open everybody's mind this morning. We start off with Russia and their Luna 25 moon mission. The Russians haven't been back to the moon soft landing since about 1976, about 50 years ago. They landed a spacecraft there. It blasted off the moon with six ounces of moon dust, and it returned here to the Earth. NASA made a trade with them way back when for about six ounces of that material and trading for some Apollo moon rocks. But the story on Luna 25, John, is interesting. This spacecraft launched on the 11th of August is attempting to make the first, here we go, the first soft landing on the moon in the southern pole of the moon. Very difficult to do, but they've got competition. The Indian Chandrayaan-3 spacecraft is also scheduled to do this, so there might be a small space race there. But if the Russians do it, they will try to do it on August the 21st, which is probably tomorrow, as we know. This is exciting because all activity on the moon as far as future exploration, is all going to be centered around the south pole of the moon. So exciting times for spacecraft. Wow. I mean, uh, that, that is something. I mean, uh, what does it mean? Well, it means more of kind of like a, a bang on your chest and ego thing, maybe for the Russians or the Indian nation of their space program. Because to do it, the difficulty is it's such a rocky place and it's in pretty much darkness. But remember, the Chinese did this. This is even more incredible. They soft landed on the far side of the moon with a thing called the Chung'e 4 back in just a few days of 2019. But this opens up the exploration of the moon because if we're going to have people living on the surface or exploring it, you have to first get there, right, with the soft landing of the spacecraft. So that's quite fascinating. But here's something else, John, we talk about. You know, we all watched Rod Serling in the Twilight Zone. Who hasn't seen it? But it's interesting to note that he made a big dimensional mistake in the opening narration of his first program. The first episode was October 2, 1959. And this is what he said. He mentioned in his opening that there's a sixth dimension. Well, CBS executives pulled him aside and said, you know, we know that there are four dimensions. What's four dimensions? There's three to make a cube if you look at the cube dimensionally. And the fourth dimension would put it where it exists in time. So he went on the air with his opening comments and said the sixth dimension, he actually skipped the fifth. Sadly, he believed in a fifth dimension, which there really wasn't, or anything like it. So guess what, John? They had to reshoot the whole opener. An interesting story from the world of sci-fi trivia. But we also well, find something I, I remember fun. those shows. They were always they? interesting. Yes. They're so amazing. Even today, they talk about space travel. They talk about time and space. But it's sad that Rod Serling, a great, a great guy, of course, you know, always with a cigarette in his hand and looking at that camera with that stoic, straight-faced look right in the camera, it's really one of the classics, other than the other one, which was called The Outer Limits, which was also quite fascinating. Yeah. But we always try to entice people as far as opening their minds. And here's an interesting one. Our mystery of the week actually is something that's quite phenomenal. 
The man who developed special and general theory of relativity, we know, is Albert Einstein. Well, what happened to Einstein's brain? Well, first, John, let's talk about what happened to him. He died on April 18, 1955, of a burst aortic aneurysm. Well, we'll get Dr. Mikolos to comment on this in detail. I'm not a medical doctor. But a doctor named Dr. Thomas Harvey allegedly did the autopsy on Albert Einstein. Whether he had permission or not is still open to question. He removed the brain, and he also removed the eyes of the great Albert Einstein and gave them to his ophthalmologist. But what he did was he kept the brain kind of for 40 years, kind of dissected pieces of it, and it's been such a quandary because when they weighed his brain, John, the brain of Albert Einstein weighed 2.71 pounds. I guess that's a little heavier than most. But from the science side, and I'm not the medical doctor here, he had more glial cells, but the concentration was on the left side of the brain. That would be a Dr. Mikolos conversation. But the point is, that brain was missing for so long. It was cut up into smaller pieces, and it actually made a trip in a car, a Buick Skylark, when this particular man, Dr. Harvey, traveled to California to give pieces of it to the granddaughter of Albert Einstein. That has to be one of the most bizarre stories in the world, don't you think? Um, yes, it is. I mean, uh, <laughs> how much more did it weigh than a normal brain then? Not sure. I think it weighed slightly more, but they said the shape of it was kind of a little different than most brains. But there were some sections in the brain that obviously were so unique when they looked at it that they said, wow. And this is not the only brain that's ever been kept in history. There were some other famous people's brains who have been kept just to study to see. But what he was trying to do is search for the whole answer to the question, what is genius? But again, with this great Einstein, the father of relativity, special and general relativity, it's just amazing. There must have been something really special about his brain than an average person on the street, as we all know. So a great story to talk about. And always what we do is we talk about the live sky. We tell people, you know, to encourage them to look at the sky, take our minds away from the planet and all the political things that are happening and all the other things. Let's have some fun. So you simply look into the Northwest this week, tonight particularly, you see the moon starting to grow in size again, a whole new lunar cycle. By the 30th, the moon's going to return to the second full moon to the moon of the month. We call it, at least some people do, a blue moon. But this will be a super moon, so it's a super blue moon because it's very, very close to the Earth. And Saturn, amazing planet. I'm watching it in the telescope. If people have a small telescope, binoculars, you can at least find it. Naked eye, you can see it. Look in the low part of the southeast sky around 9 p.m. Saturn gets close to the Earth. But still, John, it's 847 million miles away on this magical planet, the first of the many ring planets that was ever discovered. Fascinating stuff. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Steve Cates, thank you for your briefing this Sunday morning. Look forward to next Sunday and let's uh, let's something let's find something else for, for next Sunday that really expands the mind.
And thank you so much. Thank Thank you so much. Have a good Sunday. Bye now.